Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And it's a historic day here on the show as we say hello to our first ever guest. We're both hoping to bring interviews regularly to the show in 2012 and introduce directors and writers you might not have heard of working in the industry. So it's kind of a bonus episode. Um, Our first ever guest is a man who has worked for over 25 years in the film industry in Europe, in the United States, and in Australia. And uh, happy to welcome to the show two-time feature film director, Jith Sen. How are you? Good evening. Thank you very much for that, David. Jith. Very good you. We're Hi. very good friends with Jith as well. <laughs> good friends of the show. <laughs> i got to ask the big first question that everyone always asks. I know it might sound very typical, but what was your first cinematic experience? The one that made you fall in love with cinema and pursue it? I think my very first one um, was my father used to, was a film producer himself and um, we had a 16mm projector and set up a Bell and Howl oh, at the time yeah. and um, we ran it through uh, our stereo speakers, it was all very very exciting um, and I think the first one that I um, that really made me feel that I, I wanted to um, really tell stories mm. and um, try and reach out to people um, and this is going to sound really strange but it was actually Gone with the Wind that oh, <laughs> you wanted to become a filmmaker I know it was, I just found it, it you could immerse yourself in the story and just disappear and go somewhere else and just be taken with beautiful pictures how did um, you watch it you watched it on the big we watched it on the 16 mil oh cool um, so in your house Yes, yes, no in, our, in, our, in our lounge room. And, um, yeah, it was wonderful. Uh, my brother and I used to take it in turns to um, change the reels and um, lace up the camera. Um, and that was about seven or eight, I think. Um, obviously, I, I my father was... Um, he used to take us to... Um, up to town to his office, and, and then we, if we were really lucky, he would, he would take us into the... Um, Sound studios yeah. when they were doing the when they were doing the footsteps and things, and um, also the final mix, which was very exciting. And we used to sit there and we used to have a little bag of sweets, and we'd just sit there quietly for fourteen, fifteen <laughs> hours, quite happily, um, just like, watching. Yeah, I feel like we should get some background on your dad, right? Um, and as why you had access to. Uh... Yeah, um, my father was an independent um, producer um, director. Um, he um, he really came uh, came into his own um, with the uh, independent French movies of the late fifties, early sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, he produced uh, a film, probably the best known one, um, was um, a, a a movie called uh, The Last Year in Marion Bad. No way. Yeah, uh, with Jacques Demy. Yeah, yeah. It's one of Michael Mann's favourites. That's right. Yeah, well, there you go. That's a great thing. Um, yes, so um, that's that's how we started. Um, also, yeah, my father would, um, because he was an active member of the of the um, independent film industry, um, we used to have um, some wonderful people come over for Sunday dinners and stuff, um, where, um, well, basically the, uh, the director of the British... British Board of Film Classifications, um, um, a gentleman called John Trevelyan, who was very active in the um, independent film industry in the UK. Um, he, he he used to come over. He had uh, twin sons, John T and Simon, and we would spend many hours playing in their garden, and they would play in our garden. And um, 
yes and we used to sit there in awe just listening to our fathers just talking about um the beauty of film and and how to reach people and what the moralistic values of it were and um i think that really did really did sort of have an effect on me especially as such a young child definitely and wow. uh, yeah by the time i was um actually yeah, i had a bit of a bit of a turning point um when i was um when i was 9 and 10 i really wanted to become an artist because um john trevelyan's daughter was actually a very very good artist and um i i i was in awe of her paintings and just felt brilliance of using oils and the textures and yeah. I, I, I was just going oh that would be fantastic if I could do that and unfortunately <laughs> I had a uh, we, we had a, uh, an exam in those days called the 11 plus and um, I took my art exam in my 11 plus and um, I failed miserably um, I was I was a terrible painter terrible and um, I, I went into this huge depression um, and uh, here I am at what ten age was half. that, sorry? Uh, ten and a half. Okay. Ten, ten, ten years. Ten years. Wow. Yeah, ten Picked years. Picked up a brush, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was, yes, I was very depressed. I, was, I, was, I thought that uh, my world had come to an end. Um, but um, my father, funnily enough, uh, he, my father was Indian. And um, he, um, he won the Kodak uh, Young Photographer of the Year Award in 1954. Um which gave him um, five, uh, sorry, 250 pounds sterling in those days. Um, and he used that money to actually buy a ticket um, on a boat to go to England. Um, and the, the camera that he used was an old box brownie, um, which is basically a pinhole camera. Um, and he gave me his old box brownie. He said, here you are, Jeff. See if you can do anything with this. No way. <laughs> so uh, yes, so that was um, that was how I started really, and, and and I got a real love for the actual film, the celluloid. It was um, with your exposures, especially with the box brownie. It was it was mainly taking the cap off and then putting the cap back on quickly so that you didn't overexpose the film. And, and um, yes, yeah, so I, I loved it. I really did. Um, so that. That's what sort of really drew me towards, and obviously then the fact that you had moving pictures, which was, um, that was happening. Um, we had a zygotrope years ago. My, my dad had one um, that used to, uh, oh, I suppose we used to draw our own little pictures and spin them around, you know. And that, like that was always, yeah, yeah, and that was that was always that was that was always a, f a favourite with myself and, and my brother as well. Actually, he was mm. he was very much into film as well. Well stills photography mm. great so um you've found your love of film mm. how do you go from that to working in the film industry what steps do you need to take your education or well my father always told me um if you want to go into the film industry make sure you have um a profession before you do it um basically by that he meant um have a degree um work hard try and gain um, a good basic grounding um, in, in, a, in a true profession mm -hmm. and um, then give the film industry a whirl and, and see how it goes mm -hmm. because he, he was very aware of the um, 
Well, I suppose pitfalls. you call it yeah, pitfalls. The, the, yes, the drawbacks of, yeah. of, of actually working in this industry, um, especially in the UK um, at the time, uh, sort of the late seventies. It was, it was a, a wonderful industry. People were still working, still working as as the fifties and, and the forties after the war. Um, but it's starting to wind down, and, and money was being was was hard to find. Um, really, to have a full time job was was becoming harder and harder and harder um why is that like what happened well basically um hollywood had had started um doing the push for for um movies uh, to to encompass all generations and to um to push towards children's movies walt disney was becoming very big um it was it was very difficult as an independent filmmaker um to actually find screens that would actually um, screen your movies, um, much like today. Um, Australia, uh, uh, at the moment, is, is a duopoly. Um, you've got, um, basically, you've got Hoyts, and then you've got Grey Union, and Dendi, you know, is... is, is Some is, independents there, yeah, but... But they're very few and far between. And to actually make um, a good reimbursement on your investment... You need screens. Mm. You need to get people to to see your movie. Basically, bums on seats, as we say. It's funny, Dendy, sometimes uh, they have a real independent attitude, but then they play things like Jack and Jill with Adam Sandler. So Toy Story 3. Yeah. <laughs> Goes right out the window. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's very hard to find an actual independent... Well, I, I can't think of one, to mm. be honest with you. I can't think of an actual independent... Well, Canberra used to have Electric Shadows, but yeah. then they supposedly sort of sold out to Dendy. So, anyway. Yeah. So you got your degree? Well, <coughs> there you go. This is the thing. Um, uh, yes. Um, I, 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 um, I went to university uh, for, um, I think, uh, uh, what you would call a semester. <laughs> um, in, in my case, that was one term. Um, I, I didn't do very well at all. Um, it was it was actually um, studying uh, uh, law, which which I do actually enjoy. Um, but at that time, um, yes, I, I I was not good at all. Really, just the environment. <laughs> yes, it? Yeah, it, yeah. Was, it was it was it wasn't really what I was expecting, and and I couldn't really apply myself. I think that was the main thing. Um, there weren't any sort of film courses and things that piqued your interest. Yeah, it was very hard. There was there was one there was one um, technical college, what we call a, a tech in in the UK, um, that did do uh, what they called um, film and media. One. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it was wow. a technical a technical college in in Brixton, and um, I actually managed to. Um, <laughs> I suppose. The fact that I've been—I'm quite creative, so I managed to um, to get a a, um, a transfer from from university to Brixton College of uh, Technology, and um, I studied film and uh, modern and media. Um, in those days, it wasn't media actually; it was it was basically film and television. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, the best thing was that um, it was a two-year course, and in the second year we we got placements. Um, but because there were so many people and so few uh, studios in, in London, 
um, we'd actually have to do timeshare. <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I uh, I was actually working uh, as, as as a placement in uh, a sound studio called Delane Lee in Dean Street in the West End, and I found that that was that was just oh, I absolutely adored it, and um, it really sparked all my enthusiasm. Um, and um, I actually befriended an editor there called David Gilbert, and um, he he actually I'm sorry just throw this one in mm. he he actually uh, edited Elsa, uh, Born Free, mm. um, <clears throat> and uh, he he basically said, well look, come back um, when your term finishes, and we'll see if we can just get you some work over the holidays. Yeah. So um, I went back after Christmas. Um, and uh, this was so yeah new year's 1980 mm -hmm. and um <clears throat> david had had was very impressed with me and he he had um spoken to the powers that be and i actually got um a a position um as a trainee um in the edit suites and um i worked with david and um uh, Hugh Strain, who was the mixer at the time, um, he um, he was a very uh, very well known uh, man in the industry at the time. Uh, he he did uh, he he actually um, was the vision mixer on um, Gone with the Wind. So wow, there you go, full um, circle. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I bet you thought it was fate at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I hoped it was. Yeah, I yeah. did. I hoped it was. Uh, I, I I enjoyed it immensely, and uh, and then when they took me on as a trainee, um, I felt privileged. Um, seeing as uh, there were so very few positions. I'm curious. What did your family think? My dad was furious. My dad was really? furious. Yeah, he um, he said, "Look, you really do need to um, to have a, a, a proper education." And, and I said, "Well, look, Dad, I, I was you know I was, I was dropping out terribly at, at uni, and and um, Brixton was great. It was a fantastic um, feeling there, but um, I felt that for me to actually physically work and get trained on the job." Was was the best thing for me. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying that's the best thing for everyone, because it's very important to to, to have the knowledge before you start. Um, knowledge is power, as we all know. And um, I just I just found that for myself, um, I working on the job, it, it sunk in. Hands it on. stayed there. Yeah, and and I could really get involved as well. Let's uh, talk about the hands-on aspect yep, of yep, it. Absolutely. You're <clears throat> cutting film, assistant editing. Yes, this is yes. Uh, 35 mil. 35 millimeter. 35 mil on one light, um, which basically meant that it was just uh, a single blue light that they they would uh, run off the neg, um, as as you do with rushes, um, or as you did at the time with rushes, mm -hmm. um, and. Um, we would use um, Steenbecks and Moviolas, um, Pixinks, which were basically uh, uh, picture yeah, picture synchronizer. <laughs> which uh, so you'd have you'd have a, a winder on one end and a winder on the other end, and you have a trim bin either side, and then the Pixink in the middle, um, which had the the um, uh, basically um, sprockets on on them, sure. four sets of sprockets. So you could have the picture and three three dialogue tracks. Yeah. Mm. 
So that was, um, yeah, that was that was wonderful. That was really hands-on. You could actually feel the film. Um, the the one the first lesson I learned was when you're editing, you always cut um, emulsion up, and when you're when you're actually um, projecting, you project um, cell side up. So um, so when you're lo looping it in the in the moviola or or looping it in the Steinbeck, you you actually have your celluloid facing you. Uh, Yep, the celluloid facing you, and when you're actually cutting, you've got the emulsion up. So it's, mm. it was great, and the, the easiest way to tell: put the put the clip on your lips. If it sticks, it's emulsion up. Kind of like spaghetti, well, you know, when it's absolutely. right, throw it on yeah, the wall. Throw it on the wall. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, tactile. So um, you edited with film. Absolutely, it's yeah. interesting. Uh, Spielberg, uh, War Horse was the first film he's d edited on a uh, Avid. And they ask, oh, why'd you do that? You said you were going to stick with film because if it worked for our forefathers, it works for us now. And he said, I can't find any editors today that can edit on film. Like, there's hardly anyone left in the industry. So he's moved over to Avid. It's interesting, the transition now with the technologies. The technology is wonderful. Um, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I, I my first job was running running stacks of film cans around, and we would have we would have a trolley, and there would be um, fifteen to eighteen um, two thousand foot reels stacked, so it's quite heavy, <laughs> <laughs> um, and you'd be trolling them around all over the place, um, from you know to, from the dumps to to the edit suite, and then taking them back to the dumps so they could all be cut for the neg could be cut. Would you say that's the worst job you've had in the industry? Oh, no. No? Oh, worse. No, no. no. <laughs> there are some bad jobs, I have to say. There are some very bad jobs. Um, I think I think the worst job I, I ever did have was um, to um, to be attached to uh, a, a diva, I think you'd call her, um, and... Um, being woken up at uh, two thirty in the morning when we had a five o'clock call mm -hmm. um, to ensure that uh, there were green grapes in in her um, in her suite, not not uh, black grapes. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an essential two thirty in the morning call. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, and and I was happy to be there. <laughs> Although two hours later, I wasn't quite as happy. <laughs> <laughs> they green enough for you. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Um, after you uh, had all that six, uh, I guess, from England, did you graduate to Europe somehow? Like you moved over to that film scene? Well, <clears throat> when I was when I was working at Delane Lee, I was obviously exposed to um, a few uh, producers uh, who were working in Europe at the time. And um, funnily enough, in in eighty one, um, with the wall coming down, sorry, the um, the Soviet Union letting um, countries basically run themselves um, Poland being one of the first um, Film Polski was very active in those days and there was a Swedish producer that I'd met and he was um, he was doing a, a Film Polski co-production um, originally called The Will um, and uh, he was very very happy with the job that I'd done for him and um, he took me out and, and um, we, we, we chatted for, for some time and eventually said look I'm, I'm willing to give you a go as long as um, David Gilbert would, would come with you as, as, as your mentor I suppose um, and um, 
you know, I'd love to see how you, how you can actually shoot a movie. Um, now, my actual production experience at this point was pretty limited, mm -hmm. um, which is... How a, old were you, sorry? Uh, ooh, so I was 22 yep. at this point, 21, yeah, 22. Um, so we went to um, <clears throat> we went to Sweden initially, um, and did um, our scenic shots, if you like. Mm -hmm. um, then we went to Poland, um, and it was scheduled as a five week shoot. Um, yes, I I really was quite amazed. At the the level of um, experience with the technicians was wonderful, but the um, the the actual kit that they were having to use was um, amazing I and mean, they were using 1934 cameras cool. and and mole lights that that hadn't actually had that they only had the the basic lenses on them they didn't have the switch lenses mm. so it was very uh, very arduous um, time-consuming um, but a great learning curve for, for myself anyway and it was it was wonderful to actually be there yeah, for sure. In mm. Poland, mm. how did you find the Europeans against the Brits? Like, is it a different train of different school? Like, different. I was always taught that uh, a production uh, should be run um, like a military operation, and everything is timed out, and everything is is preordained. Um, That's how you're brought up in Britain. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, I found um, with with the Polish anyway. Um, certainly not the French but with the Polish um, they had a much more lackadaisical method <laughs> <laughs> it'll be done when it's done um, which obviously was very frustrating but um, some of the some of the pictures they, they produce are absolutely amazing yeah, they... absolutely fantastic so it was a five week schedule five week schedule shoot fantastic um, around six weeks <laughs> um, went back to edit it in, in, in London and um, yes, that uh, that was absolute flat out sort of um, twenty twenty hour days, um, seven days a week. So this was your first feature film that you were allowed to direct. Yes, obviously somebody else had written this film. Yes, I'll yes. preface by saying that. Can you tell us the plot of the will? Well, <clears throat> initially um, it was uh, about a. Um, Uh, a young man who who had um, been left um, by his estranged father a, um, a considerable amount of money and property. Mm -hmm. um, it was before the the wall came down, so um, he he was unable to access it um, with with the um, with the uh, laxing of of um, the USSR. Um, he went back to Poland from Sweden. Um, to to claim his his birthright, um, to find that um, there were some nefarious characters um, actually living uh, in in his house, um, and it was basically how they would try to manipulate him to um, to stay obviously in in possession of of the house, and um, how he uh, eventually managed to um, to well. 
burn it down actually because <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't work out a way of getting them out the the police wouldn't help him or anyone um wow so yes he he burnt it down so he thought well if, if they can't have it that's, that was the twist at the end so how was uh burning the house down was that done with effects or did you no we it? actually burned a house down it was, <laughs> it was great yes it was fun <laughs> it was fun, it was fun. um Yes. Well, we burned down an annex. We 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 had set builders that built an annex. Um, we had fire retardant um, materials between the house and, and the annex, and we set fire to the annex. I'm curious, and maybe you can't say, mm. but uh, first production. Do you know what like what kind of budget you're working with? You're being trusted with a lot of money here, or I mean, the conversion rate maybe messes us up. Yeah. Um, look, at the time, um, it was three hundred eighty-seven thousand pounds. Mm. Um, which was a fair amount of money. Sure. Um, having said that, um, not all of it was forthcoming. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Sounds like a whole other so, scandal. Yes, <laughs> that was a whole other scandal. And that does happen a lot in this industry, I'm afraid. Mm. Yes. Especially outside of the studios. Yes, very wow, much so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, hadn't, I hadn't really had the on-set time. Um, I'd, I'd applied for my DGA, uh, Director's Guild of America, sure. um, card and um, I was waiting on that um, I jumped the gun a bit I think um, but it taught me an awful lot I think um, my father always said to me if you want to be a good director you need to know what everyone does in every part of the movie um, and right now I can say yep he's absolutely right um, my my grounding at the time of the will was just not um, in depth enough. My knowledge wasn't um, was nowhere near. Um. Youth and enthusiasm really does help, but um, you you have a tendency to to just belligerently bash through mm. and not um, not understand what your actions will do or, or how it will end up in the edit suite um, and uh, obviously having having trained for for many years as an editor um, I know now that pff, you've really got to you've really got to plan it you've really got to have every little thing in place and um, you've just you've got to go through the script go through the script again and then go through the script again always 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 get your storyboards to the point where you want them and you can follow them frame for frame and that I think is the best uh, the best sort of preparation you can do um, obviously make sure you have enough um, rehearsal time with your actors so you know what they're going to do you know how they're going to do it and you know how many takes it's going to get them there Hmm. It's interesting you mentioned the storyboards. Hitchcock was famously bored while shooting Rear Window, I believe, mm. when uh, he was it was very procedural, going through the motions. He knew everything that was going to happen. I mean, would you think that would take away some of the spontaneity, just kind of going through the motions? I think so. But Hitchcock would do little things to to keep him up there, you know, sure. his little cameo parts. Um, he would have he would have his jokes with with his actors, and um, a lot of people who who worked with him would say, "Oh, it was all very, it was all very, um, you know, sort of boysy boysy." He he would talk to the actors and 
and and they would they would mention things that no one knew anything about because this was stuff that they'd gone through in rehearsals and they had their own little in jokes if you like but i think with that that's how he got those performances from tippy hedron from you know people who weren't really amazing actresses and actors but when he he manipulated them and then designed them the way he wanted them wow it was just wonderful to see and, and it was it was so believable which which I'm 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 very much in that vogue. Mm, great. Mm. Um, I wanted to ask because it sounds like youth and experience. You're you're speaking of this film somewhat fondly. Uh, were you happy with the final result? Or I think as a director, you're never happy with the final result. Um, you always think you can do things better. Yeah. Um, and I think um, you're always learning. Um, you have to remember that. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't matter what you do, you know, you're always learning. And I think the person who can stand up and say, I know everything, um, is a probably, well, <laughs> probably fooling himself, right. I think, would be the thing. It's interesting. Um, after Europe, you went to America? Like, I did. What, yeah. Did you <coughs> feel like you, Europe wasn't satisfying you enough or like more opportunities in America or...? Well, I was very lucky. Um, I I I, um, I bounced back um, when I was in the UK. I, I managed to. Uh, there was a, an editor there called Tim Arrowsmith, um, and he'd been he'd been hired by um, Channel Four, um, and they were making their first foray into into um, feature films, and he was doing a a, a movie called um, Wish You Were Here. Um, it, it was a, a bit of a spin-off, I suppose. Um, it was um, the early life of, of, a, of a very well-known um, madam in, in London. And um, while we were doing that, um, <clears throat> three producers from, from um, Florida came over. And um, they were actually um, working on another project um, in the Everglades and um, I, I managed to, um, I don't know how, <laughs> I managed to sell myself to them um, and they took me on as, as a production assistant um, attached to the camera department um, because I was, I was very much, I very much wanted to be um, hands on with cameras and, and, and my love of film and, and I, th I thought well that would, I think would be the, the next step. So um, they took me on and um, they got me in those days you, 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 you had what they called a green card. <clears throat> so you get a, a visa, uh, a, a, an American visa, and in that you get a, a green stamp and basically a stick into your, into your passport. Um, they were very hard to get. They were very hard to get. And these guys, I don't know how they did it actually, but they managed to do it quite quite quickly <laughs> and um, the next thing I knew I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a little place called Ocala in Florida um, with um, a couple of um, rather wily cameramen <laughs> um, and as, as, um, as a camera assistant um, I was basically a clapper loader 
Um, so I would I would take care of the cameras and and load the film and and make sure that um, all our stocks were were correct and that uh, the key numbers were following each other as much as we possibly could, and that your short and long ends were properly. Um, so you'd try and keep your key numbers because um, it. Sorry. For those of you who don't know, when film is produced, um, it's produced with key numbers and they're lock numbers. And you have to use the oldest ones first and the youngest ones last. So you have to try and keep all those stocks together because in in effect, when you're actually making the emulsion on, on the negative, um, the layers tend to corrode um, uh, as time goes by. And and if they get moisture and whatever, they, they tend to, they, they just... Um, stick together really film is um, sadly an imperfect substance it is it is but it gives you beautiful pictures <laughs> it does. um but i think that's the beauty of it it's a living thing it's it, it, it actually does create and um i think that um be, being a, a clapper loader everyone goes oh he's just a clapper loader but honestly being a clapper loader is very very difficult and to find a really good one again is very difficult Especially now, obviously, as, as, as films hardly ever used. And How'd that feel going from directing a film to a clapper loader in America? Did you feel humble going into that, or like? What was... I I always try and and um, think this is what I'm going to learn today, um, and the more I can learn, the happier I am. Um, if if someone can turn around to me and say, "Hey, look, um, today we're going to." Um, we're going to learn how to how to um, do a wet down. Um, there is actually a way of wetting down. It looks beautiful. Um, Just to clarify that term in case people aren't aware of it. Right. Um, when you're doing exterior shots uh, at night, um, because the because the tarmac, the asphalt is is very dark, it tends to absorb the light. So you land up pumping in too much light and creating a, an image that doesn't look like it's night time. So what you do is, is, you, is you wet down all the, all the tarmac and, and, and the streets so that you get beautiful light reflections coming off. So you then get light bouncing, you get plays in light and it, and it makes it just look vibrant. Curious, how do they do that? Fire trucks? Or? Funnily enough, it's not quite fire trucks. They have water trucks. Oh, really? Which you find um, in 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 arable, arable settings. Um, they they use them in to water down um, fields. Water trucks. Mm. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. That's very rare. Like usually, you know, kids nowadays like they're directors, and that's all they'll ever be. Uh, you've always seemed to approach every job without that attitude. You've. I always seem like this is a job to me. I'm going to do it as best as possible without any ego. Or it's very rare nowadays. <laughs> I mean, going from a feature film, you know what I mean, directing it, and then Clapperboy, then people today might look at it as a step down. Yeah, yeah. I think any job in the industry, as long as you're in the industry, is good enough for me. Wow, is that typical from from your background, like from where you grew up? You know, maybe. Um, I. <laughs> I think it might have yeah. had something to do with like I'm um, I'm thinking putting myself in your shoes you get a green card out of this you get to travel whole new experiences am I wrong? Oh absolutely. I mean I I love traveling. I I'd love to see how other people live. I think that is the most um wonderful thing you can you can gather in your lifetime is is to have a a, a working knowledge of 
how other countries and how people living in those other countries actually survive. I think that's, to me anyway, you know, is, is, is one of the best things in life. Mm. Wow. Just looking over your um, resume and whatnot, <laughs> um, I'm curious how you found yourself on the set of The Karate Kid. <laughs> cool. <laughs> well, yes. Um, I, I was uh, I was working in Alcala, as I said, um, and uh, I met the guy who was doing the prosthetics. It was a chap called Dean Gates. He was doing the prosthetics, and um, he was doing a shoot um, after after the one we were working on down in 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 Miami, and. Um, I befriended him and we got on very well and, and I, think he, I think he liked the way that I worked and um, he said look um, do you want to come with me on, on this next sheet and I said yep yeah, that'd be fantastic I didn't even know what was going to happen you know so I had a green card and it was it was valid for two years so I thought oh, I'm going to try and stick it out <laughs> um, and uh, yes yeah, so I went down to, to uh, Miami with him and I met um, a uh, chap who was who was doing um, the fight choreography for this particular movie that we were working on, um, a, a chap called Tadashi Yamashita, and his his um, his uh, I suppose his fight his fight coordinator, um, stunt coordinator actually sorry, was uh, a, a gentleman named Sam Kuoha, um, who actually happens to be a, a grandmaster in his own right of karate. Karaho Kempo Karate, just for you folks. Um, just curious, yeah. so he was like the consultant working on the film to make it seem as much like karate as possible with the actors. Yes, great. Yes. Okay. Um, oh, sorry. Yes, yes. Just to clarify. Um, yeah. So we 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 did this shoot down in in Miami, and they said, "Look, we're we're heading up north. Um, it's a, it's a four week shoot, a possible five week runover. Um, we can we can give you basic." Um, minimums, uh, which is minimum wage, and, and that in those days it was it was two dollars thirty one an hour. I have to tell you, quite um, different. Yes. Wow. Um, U.S. though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> which yeah is even worse now. Isn't it? <laughs> so yes. Yeah, so um, off I went, trundled off with them, and um, we did this shoot. We were paid terribly, and we worked very very hard. And your official role was stunt. I was I was assistant to the stunt coordinator. Great. Um, and I again met some wonderful people, um, some very, very good um, uh, actors, and um, again learnt the trade. You know, it was learning all the time, learning. And um, one of the um, one of the gentlemen that I was working with um, actually knew um, a, a director in his own right. Um, called John C. Broderick, a wonderful man, had done some some really good stuff, and um, I um, I basically gave him a call and said, "Look, uh, we're, this film's wrapping up in in three weeks. Um, I'd love to come to LA." And he said, "Well, strangely enough, <laughs> I'm just about to start a shoot. Do you have a green card?" And I said, oh, "I have a green card that's that's valid for another eight months." And he said, come on down. Um, I'll quite happily take you on as my assistant. Um, I'll pay you um, industry minimum wage. Naturally. Another dollar more than <laughs> basic minimums. Um, so I said, that would be fantastic. Um, where can I sleep? <laughs> <laughs> 
Just finishing up on the Karate yeah. Kid. Yeah, yeah. When you're on the set of a film like that, is mm-hmm. there any sense that this is going to be a classic film? Do you feel like you're doing something special or something that will last the test of time? Do you know, to be absolutely honest with you, and I, and I think you'll find this with most with most um, professional technicians, um, when you're working on a movie, it doesn't matter what the movie is, you feel that that will be the movie. You know, um, you give your all to it. Um, you believe that it will be the best thing since sliced bread. Um, whether if you're James Cameron, occasionally you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious, how d- did it differ going from Britain to Europe and then to America? How was the mentalities and workmanship like? Did, was it a big shock? Was it better or worse? Besides the accents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I found I found I, I was <clears throat> because obviously I'd started my my working life in in Europe. Um, there is there is a very different mentality when when you go to the States. Um, it's 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 a lot bigger. It's a much bigger industry. Um, it is an industry that everyone works in. Um, to try and get in touch with people um, in the States is very very difficult compared to Europe. Uh, well, yeah. Definitely, wow. definitely. Um, even in in London, you have filters, but there are ways through it because I knew how to get by people. I could I could get to the right person. In America, very very different. Um, the filters are not just a single filter. You, you have many layers of filter. Um, to actually talk to John, um, to be honest with you, I, I had to go th- to three, four people. I had to go through to actually get to talk to him. And it was only really because of um, the the guys that I was working with um, that I actually did manage to talk to him. It was it was very difficult. It, it's not easy. I mean, I know I say, oh, I talked to this guy and he gave me a job. It's really not that easy. You really have to give your all to it. And when you're working, you have to have to line up your next job because if you don't, you will be out of work. No doubt about was it. Was it like that military control you talked about on American set, or was it different? Um, it's a little different, actually. Um, what I found with American sets was that um, they would have the um, persona of being very, very, very uh, professional. Um, but if anything went wrong, they'd always find someone else to blame. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So you found yourself in L.A.? I did. I did. I found myself in L.A. Um, what year was this? Oh, this must be 1983, 1983, yeah, okay. coming out to 1984. And tell us about the scene in LA in the 80s. Wow. <laughs> um, it was different to Miami. Uh, the scene in Miami was was quite amazing. It was like you had the strip and all these guys and girls and padded shoulders and stuff. <laughs> um, but you went to LA and, and you had Muscle Beach and you had um, you know, Palm Beach and all that. And it was, it was very... Um, I suppose groomed um, it was a hive of, of activity um, you would you would bump into famous people um, wherever you went um, and also obviously me being in the industry I'd, I'd bump into a lot of people um, and you go wow who was oh, that was oh my goodness you know that's Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> There's Bill Murray. And it was like uh, absolutely amazing. Um, 
Did well, you find yourself talking to any of them? Or? Well, I suppose to Dan Aykroyd, I must have um, uh, Sam, Sam Kawaha, um, the gentleman I was mentioning earlier that I went to do the film with. Um, his daughter, funny enough, later, um, actually went into acting as, as, as a young child, as a child actor. And um, I went on set um, with her um, in a wonderful movie called uh, The Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> That's a cult classic. Cult classic, yes. Oh, my <laughs> So, uh, yes. And I met Dan Aykroyd then. And um, I sat with him and um, tried really, really hard to, to get into his good books. Mm-hmm. Um, failed miserably, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. I have to ask about Miami Vice. I'm a big Michael Mann fan. How was Miami Vice? <laughs> well, that was, that was a... Um, that was that was basically, <clears throat> as I said before, if you don't line up a job when you're working, um, you do land up out of work. And what happened was, <clears throat> I didn't actually line up a job um, after after working with Sam, um, although there was one hopefully on the horizon. So I went back to Miami because that was the only place that I really knew anyone or had contacts with. And there was a company called Orion Post Productions. Um, down of Baby Skane and um, I, I had a very good working relationship with them and I went back to them and um, they gave me um, a part-time job if you like um, they'd call me in when they needed me and um, they had they had a very very good uh, editor she was um, she was working on 35 mil of course and um Unfortunately, she got really sick. Um, had nothing to do with me. Convenient. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And um, they called me up and said, "Look, can you can you just finish this job off um, for for her?" And I said, "Yeah, absolutely." You know, I was desperate for the money. Um, I went in, and um, it was it was Miami Vice. Um, but funnily enough, it was actually the Phil Collins episode of Miami Vice. Oh yeah. So um, I was I was. Um, Absolutely, I mean, in awe. Um, being an Englishman, um, <laughs> well, growing up in England anyway, as as a child, um, Genesis were, were were one of my, you know, bread and butter upbringing. Um, and um, well, sorry, that's wrong. I'll sketch that. Um, <laughs> Genesis were were one of the um, the main. Um, Attractions, as far as music was concerned, that and Pink Floyd, of course. Um, and there he was, standing in front of me, <laughs> um, and I, I was just uh, uh, shocked. I think was the word. I couldn't actually get my words out when I shook his hand. Um, it was like, Mister Collins. <laughs> <laughs> so you were working as an editor on the show. Yes, but you yes. were able to visit the set. Is that how it worked? I, I actually missed the the actual set. Um, I, um, I I basically picked up at the um, at the back end of the editing. So um, the the basic cut had been done, and um, obviously we had um, wild lines that needed to be picked up, and um, the the sound mix to be done. Um, and that's when um, um, I met Don Johnson and um, cool and, um, <laughs> some other people. Yes, it was. It was. Look, it was. It was fun. 
Um, I think the main thing was actually meeting Phil Collins and, and actually working with Phil Collins and, and finding that, that um, I absolutely knew nothing. Um, speaking to someone like Phil Collins, who, who, who just... Uh, anything he turned his hand to, I think he, he would be brilliant at. And um, his, his knowledge was just was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful, and, and I think I learned a lot from him. I Sounds think. like you were really starstruck. Oh, absolutely! Wow, absolutely! Um, gosh, when I was when I was like uh, when I was fifteen, um, my father took took me to the Variety Club um, Christmas dinner. He, he, we used to go there every year, really, um, from when I was about eleven. And um, I took my girlfriend um, <clears throat> at the time, and and I wore my rugby socks under my tuxedo, and I and, and I and I met um, Donald Sutherland. And I must say, I mean, I, I was absolutely awestruck. But there I, I went to the toilet and, uh, <laughs> and I'm standing there and, and this gentleman goes, hey, uh, you got a light? <laughs> and I, so I gave him my lighter. Yes, yes, terrible at 15. But I gave him my lighter and, and um, he said, thanks. And and I was just like, uh. <laughs> what was Donald Sutherland doing asking a fifteen-year-old boy for a lighter anyway? I think he thought I was possibly older. <laughs> I, I hope he thought I was possibly older. <laughs> I thought I looked quite dapper in my tux. Yeah. <laughs> so you thoroughly enjoyed Miami Vice. I, I did. I mean, I, I think um, the Phil Collins episode was was it was the first one I did, and and it was it was the best one for me. Um, I did. Uh, another two episodes after that and it just seemed to lose its lacklustre um, that was where I actually managed to get on, on set um, I was trying obviously to um, to uh, get a job on, on the actual production team but um, I failed miserably um, nothing to be um, you know <laughs> yeah, these things happen these things happen did yeah. you ever meet Michael Mann? I did. I I, I I bumped into him um, at the um, they had craft services. I bumped into him at the craft service, um, and um, he he asked me to pass him um, some sugar, and I did, and said, <laughs> "Here you are, sir." I want a bit of sugar. <laughs> For those who haven't listened to a podcast before, Lloyd is a huge fan of Michael. Oh, I'm a Man. huge fan of Michael, Man. <laughs> and I think you've just made a stage here. <laughs> I passed him Sugar Lord. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> All right, so uh, things are going fantastic for you in America. Even though you seem to only be making a very small amount of money, I'm just curious, uh, how are you getting by? Like, uh, you're not working any other job. This is it? Like, you're just picking up these odd jobs? Um, well, <clears throat> I was doing... Um I was doing some some bartending work, mm-hmm. um, which did help. Um, I um, also met a rather nice lady um, who um, who put me up for some time. <laughs> Helping with accommodation. Helping with accommodation. Sure. Yes. So um, yeah, I was scraping, really scraping through. Um, I was holding out really for for the John Broderick work um, in LA, and I really wanted to get there. Um, I made it. I got there, and um, I um, I made another buck an hour more, as I say. And and um, it was hard work, but as far as I was concerned, you know, it's it's for a, a studio, a major Hollywood studio. And um, you know, I, I got to meet some um, some fantastic people, really fantastic people. 
and so you enjoyed America. Uh, absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't? I mean, it, it was it was a bustling metropolis. Um, our industry was not just a, a, a back street industry that, that would hide in the shadows. It was out there for everyone to see. And it was, you know, everyone was, you know, either working in industry or, or going to work in the industry or trying to work in the industry. Seems like the culture's built around it, isn't it? It was it was wonderful for me anyway, yeah. in those days. Anyway, it was it was fantastic. You know, I mean every every um every every waitress or, or, or um a barkeep who, who served you was either an actor or a or, or a lighting writer. man or a screenwriter or and, and you could have some wonderful conversations. You could sit there and you could you could talk about the aesthetics of I don't know the bar, <laughs> <laughs> and and you could have you could have a full on a full on uh, full on conversation with these people. It was just wonderful, um, for me anyway. And it was the first time. I mean, people used to look at me quite strangely when I was at school and at college and stuff. Um, but it was the first time I could actually really speak to people openly about how I felt about things and 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 what attracted me to things, um, without feeling like um, I was out of place and um, saying the wrong thing and and yeah wow it you was, really felt like that in Europe I did not just in Europe I see I uh, I went to a boarding school um, and um, at the age of 11 and really um, boarding schools in the UK um, are called public schools and the people that you mix with are being groomed for for public positions um you know um they come from landed gentry um and then not really in touch with their um, artistic side i think <laughs> so that's the way i was brought up and and that was fine with me but um it was lovely as, as i say to find a whole a whole city of, of millions of people that um you could talk to and just be yourself be like, yourself yeah wow and was your dad supportive of your success in America like was he impressed by working on these movies and programs absolutely absolutely he he was he was um he was chuffed that I I'd I'd um actually managed to get into the camera department to actually um get into production the actual production departments um he thought that um I was going about it the right way I was starting at the bottom and learning learning it from the bottom up um, he was very impressed with that, and and um, then he decided that that I, maybe one day I would make a good director. You know. So tell us about how did the America adventure end for you? Well, <laughs> we shot this little movie called Down Out in Beverly Hills, um, and um, one of the chaps that I was working with, um, basically, I I I. I I obviously had, had imp impressed a few people in production and they were very happy with the way I was working and I threw my all into it and um, came up with the goods when, it, when, when the goods were needed. Um, so uh, they were, they, the production company was moving on to make another feature in, in um, eight, 8 to 12 weeks time um, called uh, Beverly Hills Cop. And, um, Fantastic. Yep. I love and that movie. <laughs> I, I so wanted to be in that. Um I, I so wanted to be part of that. Um and they they offered me um a, a position as as a third assistant director. 
one of many I have to say but at least it would have helped my DGA card and it would have got me uh, on on set time and and I thought it was a, a really good way forward um, unfortunately um, the third assistant director that um, I was working with at the time um, didn't think that, that was a great idea and he thought that basically he needed my job rather than me having it guess we could call them a rival mm. and unfortunately at the time my my green card my original green card is, it was running out and um, they got me a, a, a stay um, while I was working on on down and out and um, they said that they would they would apply for for a, a renewal of my green card which was great so there was a, a eight to twelve week period where I would be out of work so um, I, I took um, I took some work um, at a bar at a local bar and unfortunately um, this particular AD uh, frequented this bar and saw me working there um, which was weird because it was down in San Diego and I don't know what he was doing there but anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway uh, he he promptly um, called the authorities and um, the next day I was uh, I was cooking dinner for my good lady and um, there was a knock on the door and um, there was a rather uh, official looking gentleman with a uniformed police officer um, and he, he requested to see my um, my passport uh, which I promptly showed him um, at which time he gave me two options um, either leave with them then and there and they would pay for my flight back to the United Kingdom or I would have seven days where I'd have to report in to uh, my local police station uh, twice a day um, and then prove uh, that I had a ticket that I'd have to buy myself in seven days' time to leave the country. Um, I prompted, I sort of, I went with the option of, because uh, obviously money was not um, abundant at the time, I went with the option of... Um, them actually paying for my ticket, oh, <laughs> so, no. so I left a little note and uh, I said I'd be back. And um, yes, I was put on a plane forthwith. Had you only gone out for dinner that night, <laughs> you may have avoided the whole situation. <laughs> but they always catch up with you. <laughs> it's tragic. Yeah. So you land back in the UK. Landed back in the UK. Had uh, nowhere to live. Um, no money. Um, and only half my clothes. Um, so I, w I went and stayed with a friend. Um, I um, I got got back in touch with David Gilbert, uh, the editor that I used to work with, and um, he said, look, uh, what are you doing right now? And I said, mate, um, trying to get over a bit of jet lag, but uh, you know, whatever. And he said, come to um, Studio uh, 602. 602, 604, um, and um, start work right now. I said, great. So I ran in there, got to got to the edit suite, um, took off my jacket and started cutting. I said, uh, it was only uh, maybe three hours later. <laughs> I said, what is this movie? And they uh, said, oh, it's a Michael Winner production. I went, oh. I said, will I get paid? <laughs> no, sorry. Um, Yes, it was, it, was a, it was a little production called Death Wish 2. Um, yeah, Charles, Charles Bronson. Bronson. Charles. Yes, yes, absolutely. 
That's right. And um, yes, so um, the next morning, um, Mr. Winner came in and um, I was introduced to him and he said, well, you can stay as long as you can work. And I said, well, I can definitely work. Um, at which point um, I was gainfully employed, which was kind of nice. You would have been on better money than you were in the States? Well, I certainly was, yes. Would have been much better. It was much better money. Wow. So France was next? Yeah. Um, after uh, after Death Wish, um, I started putting feelers out and, and trying to find more work. Work was not forthcoming. Um, London, 86, not a good time uh, for production. Um, the 80s was great as far as TV and, and commercials were concerned, but uh, as far as actual film production, um, the video was well and truly installed in people's houses and, and um, yeah, films, not so much. Um, so, so I, what brought you to France then, like, uh, right. why France? Well, I, I, um, I very sheepishly uh, approached my father, um, who, uh, as I said, worked worked with Jacques Demy, and, and um, he he in turn worked with uh, Jean-Luc Godard, and um, he called up his friends, <laughs> <laughs> and um, luckily enough, uh, Jean-Luc said, "Look, I'll, I'll take him on for for a few months." Um, he had a a neg cutting job that he wanted me to do. Hold on, you worked with Jean-Luc Godard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, what actually happened was I went to a little company called uh, LTC Fine in in Paris. Um, I, I got digs in a, in a little place called Saint Denis, which is west of Paris, um, where the trains terminate. And <laughs> it was it was all very cheap and it was all very uh, low, low key, which was fine. Um, and I landed up working with twenty six middle aged French women. And myself <laughs> cutting negative, which um, oh look, it was it was it was fun while it lasted. Um, my French was appalling at this point, um, but within three weeks, I think I'd I'd um, I picked up the um, general lingo. I think <laughs> it was either sink or swim, so I thought <laughs> oh, I'd better swim here. Yeah. So you've. Um written that uh, Jean-Luc Godard was your spiritual mentor mm. when you, you heard you were going to be working with him what kind of mindset did that put you in? Well I was very lucky I, um, I, I was introduced to, to Jean-Luc Godard um, by my father um, oh gosh when I was eight I think the first time he'd seen me grow up and, and, and um, I think I was very lucky that um, my father had such you know, they were all struggling artists at the time. Um, so for me, it wasn't it wasn't like oh, it wasn't like meeting you know Dan Aykroyd or something where I'd only seen him in movies and and saw seen his his movies. Um, so it was very easy for me. Um, he treated me. Um, he he tried to impart his knowledge to me. Um, of which I was a sponge. I I I I found that he he um, his use of of light and dark I think was the the most um, influential 
thing that I can say I, I gained from that. Um, very dark storylines as well. Um, and yes, I mean that's that's also part of my, um, I suppose my uh, my arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like a, he- a heck of an experience, you know. It was, it was, it was, it was tumultuous though. Um, you find that, um, yeah, as with my father, um, very, um, very explosive characters, um, and sometimes it was like the blue touch paper and run like hell. Um, it was, it was very, um, yeah. I enjoyed it immensely, but it was it was it was it was quite um, quite taxing on the emotions. I think. How long did that go on for? Ah, uh, oh, maybe um, sixteen months, okay. seventeen months. Mm. Sorry. You're right. Um, that was just Jeff's phone. Mm. <laughs> we can leave this in. Okay. Um, yes, and then um, then I felt that um, I wanted to. Uh, to move on really and 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 get get a, a proper paying job i think um i i needed to uh to try and and, and put put to use the knowledge that i gleaned and what an um, honor the guy changed cinema <laughs> absolutely yeah, absolutely yeah. and 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 i think it's just not you know i it's 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 an honor to meet anyone who who um who you feel could could actually impart their knowledge to you, and it's it's wonderful that these people do. Um, it's a shame to think that a lot of a lot of really good technicians have actually died without passing on their their knowledge, and it's now lost. The only time you can see it is is actually on celluloid, and that's after it's been doctored. You know, so I, sometimes I the celluloid doesn't even last. Absolutely, uh, rank film dumps. Um, the fire. Uh, there was a great fire in the in the film dumps, and, and hundreds of negatives were lost. And that's stuff that you'll never get back, including magnificent Ambersons. I just want to say that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, it's a good time to talk about your influences. Mm. Being a director, mm. um, you've cited Jean Luc Godard. Do you have any others you want to mention here? Oh look, um, Stanley Kubrick. Sure. You know, again, um, dark, dark in his art. Um, I, 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 David Lean was one of my father's favourites. Um, I found his his um, his landscapes absolutely wonderful, and his use of background action just superb. Mm. Um, awesome Wells. I have to mention Orson Welles. I know Lloyd will be really happy with this one. <laughs> um, I, I, I found uh, Orson Welles' work was just um, you know, head and shoulders above his peers. Um, he made Citizen Kane before he was 25, was it? Mm. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Seems like we've all failed. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> failed miserably. So following your 16 months with... Mm. Um, in France, yeah, um, you went back to the UK. Yeah, went back to the UK. Um, at which point, uh, I found it very difficult to get film work. Uh, very difficult indeed. Um, all my contacts basically dried up. It's interesting the the time you really <coughs> wanted to make money and mm. you know start to work. You mm. couldn't. 
Yep. Um, I think the 80s had a lot to do with that. I mean, everyone was everyone was making huge amounts of money and um, you just felt totally left behind. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but in 89, I decided, well, that's it. You know, I'm going to I'm going to. Um, basically go give up the film idea for the moment um, until I can finance or, or find someone to finance me um, and took that knowledge that I had um, of lighting, of camera um, of, of directing obviously um, or production um, and I went to join an independent uh, TV company <clears throat> who did um, a weekly program called Moda which mm. went out on uh, Thames Television at the time. Um, well, then Thames lost their um, lost their license to Colt. This is back in the UK, uh, terrestrial broadcast, and um, our company um, went into motorsport. So I learned again. I was I was learning again. Um, I was learning how to edit on on tape. Um, then it went to uh, to computers and. Um, Yes, it was. It was. That was a learning curve, I have to say. Coming out of a film, going into television, um, learning about um, your your back porch and your your black knees, and oh, I had lots of those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is it mainly transition from film to video, or well, that and and um, also, uh, I mean, I, I kept my work ethic. I, I believed that. Um, being professional and, and and doing the very best you can and taking responsibility for what you did was something that, that I seemed to seem to find lacking in in the industry. So I I brought that with me and and tried my best to to lift people around me, um, which we did. Um, we landed up in, inside two years. Um, our company went from. Um, on the verge of, of bankruptcy because we lost our, our, our contract. To uh, we were making we were making sell through videos. We were making documentaries for the BBC. Um, we did a, a documentary called Rolling in the Sky, mm-hmm. um, where we followed the Red Arrows for nine months, and um, it sold hotcakes. Um, we we did very well. Um, we did a, a little number called um, Harley Magic, which was for the Harley people um, and hopefully you've heard about that one guys um, it sold very well you know so um, yes it was just a change really is, is that like a step down from film to TV how is that viewed in the industry in the UK oh look some people view it as a step down I, I personally don't I, I think it's it's um, you look as far as I'm concerned I want to reach out to people yeah um, and if I can do that in any means you know I mean, so what? So I suppose podcasts. Mm. <laughs> you know, is that a step down? I feel not. You know, you're reaching out to people. You're touching people. You know, you're 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 um, you're being an active member of society, and I think that's really important. Also, helpfully, probably all of your knowledge and everything will live on in this podcast, and you know, it'll there live you online. Yeah, I'm gonna hashtag like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I've managed to impart much, but... Uh, <laughs> oh, it's early days, an hour and ten minutes in. <laughs> uh, so working on uh, commercials and television, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that led to you directing again? Yes, yes it did. Which would have been a great experience? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, it was, it was very nice to um, to get 
back into into actually producing something and and and, and actually writing something and and being able to um, touch people with with what I feel is important. Um, we had um, the Gulf War. I don't know if anyone remembers that um, back in '92. Um, now it was horrible. Um, we had fit men coming back from the Gulf War um, and within months they were falling really really sick and then dying um, for no reason no reason it was being given as this and that and oh it's this and oh it's that um, and yet then it only really came to pass when um, because it was in the 90s and everyone had their handy cams the the soldiers themselves were shooting things on their own on their own handy cams, and we started researching and, and sourcing uh, material, um, and we found some awful things. We found out some very awful things. I mean, some things obviously I can't tell you because I that's the reason why I didn't do my second documentary. <laughs> but um, we the 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 British government did eventually um, in nineteen ninety four. Um, this is two years after the fact. Um, they did actually say that, that there was an ex that, that Gulf War syndrome was a real uh, syndrome, a real uh, illness, and we managed to, to, to we managed to, to um, well, hopefully, give our viewers um, a choice between two real reasons. Um, one was the um, anti anti um, bacterial injections that were given to the soldiers without their prior knowledge or acceptance and the other was um, the NAPS tablets that they were given were not actually um, sorry the NAPS sorry. NAPS tablets was were for the effects of gas sarin gas and um, other gases they might have been exposed to um, and it turns out that um, that they weren't actually even registered with the um, medical association, so anyway, um, the fact was that it, it was a, a, a real um, disorder, and that people were dying. And um, it was it was really nice that I managed to um, to get a, a half hour documentary out on Horizon, on BBC Two, um, and um, I was I was very excited, obviously, that uh, something in mind that I'd actually created and, and, and found out things about. Um, unfortunately, when it, by the time it went to air, um, all the people um, that I'd interviewed, which was uh, 17 in all, um, from majors right the way down to, to um, basic squaddies, um, had died. And oh, two of their wives had died also well. of the same disease. So This was between 92 and 94. Yes. That's terrible. Yeah. Wow. So it sounds like you would have some haunting footage there as well. Absolutely. And there's some footage, unfortunately, I can't show to anyone because um, I found myself in a situation where um, I really couldn't carry on. I was going to do a spin-off documentary from that um, where I found out uh, some very disturbing things. Um, but unfortunately, it shall have to stay that way because... Um, I was warned off in no uncertain terms. Mm. Um, again, you know, um, a testing ground for Porton Down, 
um, a testing ground for for a lot of um, modern arms. You know, um, it was fantastic for these people who are making money hand over fist at the expense of everyone else. It's a bit of a shame. Mm. Let's lift the spirits. <laughs> So, all right, you worked on uh, commercials and television. I did, yeah. And short films at the same time? I wrote, I was writing lots of short films. Um, but was this your first experience writing? Actual, pro yeah, actual production, yes, okay. yes. Um, I'd write, I, I'd write um, for myself and for my family and things, but never, never for actual broadcaster. Mm -hmm. I think the documentaries helped me get into that. Um, I wrote my documentaries, obviously, and um, with that, I, I, I started to, to glean uh, knowledge of actually how not to go off in tangents and, and stay focused on what you needed to do. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, yeah, so I started writing um, two or three just short scripts. Um, I never thought any of them were any good, um, so I never really pursued it. Um, but when I started, um, I, I started working as a freelance director um, in 80, 97, sorry. And um, uh, a lot of the time um, I would be working with the, with the um, ad agencies and working with their creatives and actually putting input into it. And I felt, oh, this is kind of nice, you know, I, I can, because with, I, sort of see things in pictures uh, when I read anything I, I, I build pictures um, I don't know why but I just do <laughs> um, and so it's very easy for me to, to do my storyboards because I've got the pictures in my head and, and that's that's what I produce and, and it was very easy to, to show the creatives well, this is my idea and show them my storyboards and then they go oh yeah that's a great idea well how would you mix that in with this and, that, and that's how it happens so um, my producer at the time, um, uh, an Australian girl, um, was uh, was actually she 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 um, she read a few of my things and, and said, "Look, I think this is really good." Um, Very nice. Yes. So um, we uh, we started working on a few things, and um, then um, Claire decided that she wanted to go back home. She'd had enough of, of the um, miserable weather in London. <laughs> and, um, your... Claire is my wife yep. now, yeah. And um, she, so I said, look, well, she was, she was my girlfriend at the time. And I said, yes, look, I, 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 should, I should love to come back with you. Um, I, I thought the idea of moving continents and, and uh, you know, obviously going somewhere that was not quite as wet although <laughs> I have to say with recent times yeah. um, yes I, I found that a wonderful idea and, and I came here and um, I found well, actually I went to, went to the Gold Coast um, for, for a few weeks met a few people um, it's a reasonable production sort mm, of houses on absolutely, the Gold Coast absolutely yeah. um, but it was very small at the time I mean it was sort of uh, I suppose beginning of 2000 um, there were a few small companies trying to vie for position um, the Olympics was on in, in Sydney um, I thought oh that'd be a good idea so so I moved down to Sydney um, stayed with a, a, a cousin of mine 
and um, started work um, on the Friday of the Olympics. Actually, started work that morning on the Olympics. That was good pay, I have to tell you. <laughs> um, what was yeah. your capacity there? Oh, I was a cameraman. Okay. Um, yep, and uh, yeah, it was it was really good. I did all the OBs. Um, funnily enough, uh, when I was working back in London, I, I I'd work with. Um, the Japanese and and uh, the French and and the Italians and um, there I was in 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 um, in Sydney in Botan- Sydney Botanical Gardens uh, with an OB truck and and uplink and I saw all the same people that I was working with in London which was quite funny it was, <laughs> they'd all made the jump yeah they'd all made the jump because obviously the the Olympics was huge yes so fantastic that was really nice um, gave me a nice smooth into the industry here. Um, and then I just started meeting people. Um, I started working just freelance. Got an agent um, in Sydney and started working freelance. Um, walked into um, uh, MI2. Um, just Mission as possible too for yep. those playing at home. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that was really good. Um, I was just basically rigging the camera um, cars and the cameras in in the stunt cars. Um, but that was really good. Um, that led me on to meeting uh, other um, electricians, and 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 um, I went on from that to um, gosh, um, stealth um, in Fox Studios. Is that Rob Cohen? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Fast Jerry Fox. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just a day player on that, but uh, quite a few days. That was really nice. That 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 padded out the coffers. Mm. Um, Yep, and um, met even more. Um, met a, a couple of really good gaffers, um, some really good grips, and um, you found it easy to network in Australia. Oh yeah, more so than the much US. more so. It's, it's, it was so much more available to talk to people, to to, to actually get to have a face to face. It was really easy. It was wonderful. Yeah. It was it was actually really nice, um, and it was such a difference from from coming from Europe, and um, yep. Met some met some really good people. Um, you say difference better or worse? Oh, much better. Wow. Okay. Much better, and the technicians were just as good. In fact, a lot of them are better than the the average technicians in 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 um, in Europe. Wow. And even the states. Well, look at it. What's one of the what's what's one of the biggest exports here in the film industry is is talent. True. You know, and luckily enough. Um, so I'm going to jump the gun here, but luckily enough, I was I was I was um, I was in a position to to shoot a movie. Um, um, grabbed it with both hands, um, managed to raise finance independently, um, and it was going to be a massive movie. Um, well, massive, <laughs> about five and a half million, but it's not that massive. Actually. It's a low budget movie, but. It was it, for for us. It was going to be great, and um, we. Uh, I, I was so lucky to Steve Winden, who was one of the exports here. Um, he shot Lara Croft Tomb Raider. Just mm-hmm. if you didn't know, um, his his youngest brother, uh, a DOP in his own right, uh, Mark Winden, um, came on board, and um, his brother. Andy as well. He came on board too, and we. Um, sorry, I've totally jumped the gun here, but right. um, we we got together. We we just had coffee, had a few drinks, just chatted. 
everyone got excited. We were going to make this wonderful, wonderful production. Um, we had we had distribution set up. It was everything was in the right place at the right time. It was just really nice. Unfortunately, um, six weeks outside of start of principal photography, um, we lost one of our investors due to um, illness in in. Well, his wife was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm. Um, we obviously had to let it slide. Um, we lost the other financer. He didn't want to be exposed to the full amount, which I totally understand. Five and a half million, yeah. Yeah, it's a fair bit. Um, we were sitting there. We, we'd already spent 68000 in in rentals and, and props and people building sets for us. Um, we thought, oh dear. <laughs> so we wrote a script with what we had. Um, so it was based in a warehouse. <laughs> yeah. And sorry. that became uh, your second feature film? That became my second feature film, yeah. Nice. Um, but I, I carried I carried a lot of knowledge with me. Um, our, our location moves were five metres. Um, our sets were pre-built so we could just uh, manipulate and light pre-light everything done second unit moved in they were working on one location we were working on another it was great it just we we the idea was to shoot it in 14 days only because when I worked back in London um, I worked at Pinewood Studios and um, a lot of the guys there were the old the old guys um, had worked on all the old Carry On movies, and they kept telling me, "Oh, we used to do it in fourteen days. We did. Oh, you lucky lot. You don't know what you got these." <laughs> so, um, so we decided, yeah, we we're going to shoot it in fourteen days. A ninety-minute feature in fourteen days, easily done. Well, we did it in seventeen and a half. Um, but yeah, and this is your first time working with DV, digital video. No. Okay, no, sure. no, no. Um, like I mean, mini first digital. time, first time winning with that, uh, working with HD, oh, okay. high def, yep. high def. Yep. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Actually, we were we were shooting um, 720p, so progressive for for those of you, um, which is like film, which is great. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, um, we actually uh, invested in our own camera. Um, we we worked with um, Hagemeyer, which is the the importer and and um, distributor for JVC in Australia, um, and we um, we basically um, bastardised their camera and developed a camera that we thought was was um, up to the job. Fantastic. Mm. So this film is called A Perfect Life. It is now, yes. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and this was your first feature film script. You wrote this. Co-wrote, co um, I, I, well, to be absolutely honest with you, my, my, uh, my partner, um, Johan Earl, is a prolific writer. Um, he's written some wonderful stuff, um, and he writes constantly. And um, I went to the UK. We, we came up with this idea. We needed something to be shot in the in the space we had with the with the space we had and with the with the sets we had. Um, I ran off to the UK for seven days, really quickly, to try and see if I can raise finance um, in the UK for our original script. Um, Tyler Stone, by the way, never see the light of day. That's Damn the shame. name of the, the five and a half million dollars. That was the name of the five and a half Tyler million. Stone. Tyler Stone. Yes, we were going to go back to the old gumshoe, the New York gumshoe, and 
you know, we had we had the old Maltese fork and all, anyway, yes, never happened. Doesn't matter. Anyway, so <laughs> maybe one day, one day, maybe. Uh, times passed on that one, I think. But yeah, um, I, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't raise the money, unfortunately. Um, so I came back and we head down for another uh, seven days. Um, heads together, head head down, and yo, bashed it out. Um, few um, minor changes. Where did the inspiration come from? Well. My father always used to say, um, always, 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 when you're writing a script, try and put as much of your own experience into it as possible. And that's what makes it believable, that's what makes it realistic. Because um, if it's happened to you, you can tell it. You know? um, so when my father died, for example, um, my brother and I sat there for, um, for four and a half hours um, in, in ICU. And the uh, the doctor said, "Look, if um, if there's any fluid passing into the um, into the bag um, from his catheter, um, then we'll resuscitate. Um, we'll because they were they were inducing. Um, well, basically, um, they were keeping him sedated. <clears throat> and me and my brother sat there for for four and a half hours, just staring at this little bubble." In this in this thin tube, waiting for it to move, and and um, that for me was a, a terrible time in my life. So um, our hero is 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 um, shackled to a to a, um, a iron bed um, with a, what I'd like to call the sword of Damocles hanging over his head, um, a a, um, a suspended. Um, bed of nails really um bed of spikes two foot spikes just hanging over his head and um our, our um our protagonist um decides that um it's not dropping fast enough so she she um she uh, gives him a catheter and um fills up her fish tank with two electrodes mm. um and if he passes water um the level would rise, the electrodes would connect, and boom, down comes the sword of Damocles. So <laughs> I suppose you'd be sitting there wishing that there wouldn't be any um, fluid passing through that one. So, you know, little things like that. You bring it in, you, you try and make it believable, you, um, you use things that have happened to you. Um, Absolutely. Mm. It's a it's a love triangle. Lloyd and I have actually watched this oh, film. I was passed out in that scene, by the way. Jeez. <laughs> oh, it is very interesting to get the glimpse into your mind, <laughs> Jith. Uh, very dark, as I say. <laughs> it is, it is. Yes. It's, uh, it's a very interesting movie. It's got um, kind of a Saw-style... Uh, yeah, remind me of Saw, that, that mm. yeah, yeah, position. We like to call it neo-noir. Sure. Um, we've had the film noir. We, we were trying to... Do, divulge a new also design a new a new style of film called neo noir um yes it's 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 quite disturbing but um i feel that uh, dark stories tend to get the emotions going and innovate people you know and uh film inc magazine mm. compared your film to misery mm. and to seven which is high praise <gasps> Well, Seven. Seven happens to be one of my favourite movies. Oh, save here. It's like my second favourite. We should hang out. 
Absolutely. <laughs> and you can see the comparisons. This main character is uh, trapped in the way, in misery, James Kahn, I believe, is trapped uh, with a cinder block by Kathy mm. Bates. And uh, in this same way, being forced to give something back. Absolutely. Uh, look, um, we, we, you know, we draw on our own experiences. We also, um, you know, um, there are stories out there that, that are um, uh, very emotive and influential on sure. people. Yes, um, we wanted to um, we wanted to try and um, pay homage to these great movies, you know, and um, we did our best um, in fourteen days. And um, I my my actors were fantastic. Three core actors, absolutely fantastic. Did a wonderful job for me. Um, we only had three weeks of rehearsals. Um, and they they brought it to the table and they gave their all and it was you know it was it was a joy to do it really was a joy to do. Um, Joe Joe Estevez, a personal friend of ours, came over from the states and gave of his time as well and and he gave us a lovely little cameo um, just to relieve the tension. You try and do that. Um, and just for those who don't know, Joe Estevez. Joe Estevez, uh, Martin Sheen's uh, elder brother. Mm-hmm. Um, Emilio and um, and um, Charlie. Charlie's uh, uncle. Mm. Cool. <laughs> I got to ask: Have you seen that movie with an audience? Perfect Live. I have. We Has had a anyone screen. passed out at that scene. That scene made me. Oh my god! Uh, it's funny. Yeah. Uh, obviously, Everyone go see it. If you watch it without <laughs> passing out, I got to hand it to you. And I've seen a lot of horror movies. I was. Oh, just thinking about that scene again. <laughs> Oh look! Um, obviously, I, I knew the movie inside out. Um, we'd we'd lived with it for um, for almost two years uh, before the first screening. That's from writing to from, the end editing. Yeah, yeah, uh, from, yeah, shooting, editing, and and uh, color grading, mixing. We did it all ourselves. Um, and um, in fact, Yo Yo put an awful lot of time and effort into it, and we would we would be we would be sitting in the edit suite at two o'clock in the morning in his house trying to get things done and trying to get the color grade up we did it um we we uh, we screened it to uh, as many people as we could possibly get into the theater about 230 people um and i spent the whole time just watching their reactions and um i knew obviously from from the soundtrack i knew where we were and and um i have to say it uh, every boy um at that point um grabbed their crutches <laughs> and every girl covered their eyes um, it was it was fantastic it was, it was just such a great reaction and it was what I wanted and they laughed at the right points as well um, so it was so a good screening it was very nice wow. it was very nice it was it was lovely to see that and to have that you know and, and I think that's part of it as well you know you put yourself into it and you really do and, and if you don't then don't bother um, you need to put yourself into it you need to get there but honestly, um, when you sit there and see other people's reactions, it was only 230 people, but to me, it was the whole world. And, and to see those reactions and to get those reactions, it was, it was great. Wow. Well, Jith has um, given us the audio from the trailer, and the actual trailer will be available on the Pod Me If You Can Facebook page. We thought we'd take this opportunity to play it now, so uh, enjoy. Thank you. 
Thanks for coming. Appreciate it. Probably gonna have to work late tonight anyway. If you come home early, I'll make it worth your while. Congratulations. That was quite a speech. I want to make a toast to the man of the hour. I miss you, Andy. I never see you anymore. And I miss you too, baby. I'll be home in an hour or two. Was your wife, wasn't it? I would never intentionally hurt you, baby. What happened? What is this place? What the hell is this? It sounds like you know this woman. Why are you doing this to me? Because you lied. And now you're gonna make it up to me. What do you want? I want the truth. I'm gonna ask you a question. You're just as crazy as her. There's no need to look at me like that. Got to ask, were there any problems with dealing with the Australian government? Well, <clears throat> I think I found I found that um, the Australian government, uh, a lot like um, the the UK government, um, has a has a tendency to say yes, we we are involved with the arts, we do want to promote the arts. Um, unfortunately. The way in which they f actually do it is is very difficult for independent filmmakers to actually get any real support. Um, or, yeah, I mean, the UK government was a big thing b before I left, where they started a national lottery, and the monies, all the monies from the national lottery would be would be put into the arts, um, not just filmmaking. But um, for artists, for photographers, um, for people to 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 have um, some sort of security, um, or to get some sort of budget that they can work with, um, and it landed up um, very much like um, I, I believe it is here. Um, a, few, a few people do get funding. Very hard to get. Um, very very convoluted um, it takes a long time lots of paperwork um, and at the end of the day it's really only a handful of people that get it and it's the same handful of people that get it year after year mm. unfortunately the rest of us are left out in the cold and we have to seek independent financing which is fair enough but don't say we're supporting the arts don't say that uh, funding's available when really very very hard to get. Do you very have any hard advice for young filmmakers? Uh, I guess particularly in Australia. <clears throat> Look, it's very important if you're going to go and try and raise independent money. 
you have to be able to pay it back there's no point in going oh well we're going to shoot this thing it's a wonderful script everyone might love it it might be the best script in the world but they're going to need to know when they're going to get their money back and how much profit they're going to make from it because it's an industry it's a business just like any other business any retail business any business that you care to name they're just protecting <coughs> their assets in a way you know if we're going to lend it to you we want it back absolutely absolutely so if you're going to shoot a movie if you're going to try and pitch it to independent finances make sure you have a distribution and make sure that that distribution can say yep from this delivery date the first monies will be due at whatever time and then you can say to your you can say to the investor well we have x amount of guaranteed income x amount of income due at whichever point from which you'll be paid plus whatever you agree on you know um, it's very clinical though isn't it I mean unfortunately yes it is um, but it's a business you know um, you have to it's very easy to lose sight of that to get swept up in this idea that it's all about art and art's, art's sake and whatever the reality is that if you want to make a movie and if you want to keep making movies you have to be able to pay the money back. You have to be able to show profit to your investors. And you have to be very stringent in your time frames. So a film has to be profitable to be made in Australia? Look, I think if you want to make it a business, if you want to make it something that you're going to um, make a living at, yes. Yep. Your films have to be profitable. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's really interesting the, you know, um, when people are frustrated by this Australian film industry, um, they head overseas and are able to make films more freely. You know, finances perhaps more available. Would you consider doing that? Well, <clears throat> the reality is that um, look, the biggest market in the world at the moment. Is, is the US. The US has gone through a huge um, financial crisis. Um, then all of a sudden, the Chinese market has, has blossomed. Um, the Indian market is, is huge. Um, Bollywood makes more product than the rest of the world put together. Um, although the Chinese industry is, is now becoming a major player really um, I think it's it's nice to see a shift um, although it would be lovely to to be in a country that that still has um, a lively market um, there are still look there are independent filmmakers in in Australia that are still making movies and putting them out there God bless you all um, I really think that what you're doing is fantastic and you know I'm hopefully a part of that um, but it is a business to me um, what I want to do is make movies um, get them out there get the ideas out there give some sort of moralistic guidelines to people um, 
put it out there at least and just see what they think you know and if it's wrong then great you know at least it's something that that people can talk about society i don't know society um to me is um saying well look you know this is the way you need to live your life this is what you have to do well what's wrong with dreams what's wrong with people getting out there and the great australian dream is to own your own home they're making it very difficult for people now to to own their own home you know don't kill the dream you know one more question on this and then we'll move on i promise mm-hmm. <laughs> i just want to say um obviously you're working with larger budgets and things like that perhaps to make a film more profitable we need to be sp- spending smaller amounts of money and making films more cheaply i mean now uh, coming from an independent producer father do you think maybe we should be moving towards making cheaper, more independent films? You know, <clears throat> independent films are the lifeblood of the film industry. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. Um, but we have to have places to show those films to people. It's great that the internet is now becoming uh, easily accessible. And I think, hopefully, eventually, we'll be able to stream our movies and get them out there. But we need distributors, we need um, end suppliers to do that. And, um, you know, to actually get your film screened on independent screen is is very difficult, very difficult indeed. Maybe the internet is the answer, and and I'd love to see it happen, and I'd love to see people be able to make a movie and go, yep, okay, we didn't spend millions and millions of dollars on doing this, but we've managed to get it out there, and we've managed to provide the viewer with something out of the ordinary, something that isn't tailored and and made for mass mass consumption, you know, and I think that's important. Uh, how can people listening to this watch a film? We've talked about A Perfect Life. <clears throat> now, how can we see it? If we listen to this and saying, I want to see this torture device. I need a distributor. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've taken it to uh, all the big distributors here. Um, we thought we had a nibble with Icon, but uh, that they passed it up. Um, I need a distributor, really, uh, here. Um, and it would be wonderful. Um, to find one um, our distributor in the States um, managed to get it out into Blockbuster and uh, Walmart um, I'd love to find a, a distributor here that, that would do the same thing you know um, I don't mind going to DVD you know it's, it's getting out there you know I'd love to obviously put it on on a on a on the big screen I can't see that happening with with the duopoly here if you can't get it in with one of them, you're not going to get it in with either of them. You know, and that's unfortunately the way it is. And uh, what's next for you? Are you working on something at the moment? <coughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. Always? <laughs> you're always working on something. What's your next project? Everyone always asks you. Um, I, I, was, um, I was actually working on, on an idea. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, distrust and um, a lot of... Um, negative um, feelings about uh, the Middle East and and um, 
the the you know um the way people view it um and to be absolutely honest with you there are always two sides to a story always two sides to a story are you and talking about terrorism and terrorism you know there's this huge scaremongery going on about how um how oh they're going to come up and blow us up they're going to they're going to they're going to um terrorists are all around us um in reality you know there's there's a whole different um you know there's a whole different side to to this all um israel um was was given to to um to the displaced masses um a wonderful thing you know uh, unfortunately, they gave away other people's uh, land. Um, those people want it back, you know. As far as as far as the Lebanese are concerned, and um, the the Gaza Strip belongs to them. Um, now, look, if that's right, if that's wrong, I'm not going to say. I don't believe it's is for us to say. Um, I think they should sit down and it should be sorted out, you know. Um, but I also think that to turn around and create a a hate campaign against against uh, a sect of people is that not just doing exactly what was done to to the Israelis? So this is your screenplay. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good little teaser. <laughs> it's uh, look, it's the basis of it. Obviously, um, the, the human story is 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 what's is what the main um, things about. Um, it's how individuals um deal with with uh, adversity and um hopefully how we can bring an end to um this disrest fantastic hmm. and uh we always want to end with the same last question uh first question if you guys recall was uh what was the first film you ever saw in a cinema we also want to know what was the last film you saw at the cinema jeff well, having two young children um, and Christmas just been and gone, um, we the last movie um, was uh, we took our children to see, um, and I have to say it was yes, uh, the Muppet movie. Fantastic, three D. Yes, the Muppet movie in three D. <laughs> Great. Do you like three D? I do actually. I, I think it's. Uh, I think it's a great, a great sales point to try and get people back into the theatre. Um, I also like the idea of of um, the um, premiere cinemas, where you can uh, take food and drink in, like in the old days when you used to do the same thing. I mean, it's not cigar cigarettes anymore, but mm. I think it's really nice. Um, I remember as a, as a very small child going to see Herbie Rides Again at the movies. And and getting very excited when um, they brought ice creams around, and you could sit there in your seat and eat an ice cream. It was just fantastic. It's an experience, isn't it? Yeah. Look, I th I think it's something that our kids would would love to do. You know, I mean, my kids anyway don't don't get ice cream at home, and it'd be just wonderful. You know. <laughs> I got asked for legal reasons. Uh, can we have your permission to share this podcast through Podme if we can? No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Some creative editing here. <laughs> if anyone wants to listen to this, then they're welcome to. Um, I'm, I'm sorry if I bored you. Um, <laughs> no <nonsense>. way. <laughs> no, I hope. I hope it. I hope there are some. There are some glints of of of, of um, information, knowledge that, that that people can take away from this. Um, 
I'd love to sit here for hours and, and, and really boil it down to, to the to the finer nitty gritty. But the reality is, look, it's all about it's all about getting it out there. It's all about making sure that you're prepared when you start principal photography and make sure you're happy with the script. Fantastic. On behalf of Lloyd and myself, I'd like to say it was a real pleasure doing this with you, Jit. Thank you very much for coming on the show and being our first guest. Pleasure was all mine. Uh, keep an eye out for our next episode and uh, subscribe through iTunes, of course, to get the latest ones whenever you refresh. Our website with all of our links is www.podmeifyoucan.com. Thank you very much for listening. Okay, guys, all the best. <laughs> <laughs>